Robert in Bricktown. You're on New Jersey 101.5. Good morning. Hey. What's going on, Robert? I'm a hardworking construction worker. I had an encounter back in the early 80s. I uh, saw what I later found out to realize was the Jersey Devil. Tell me. How did you... What was? Tell me about the encounter. Uh, back in the early 80s, I lived in Marlboro, um, and this was at the corner of Duncan Drive and Tennant Road. Now, right at that intersection, there's a hill, right? All right. Um, and I, I had a new bicycle at that time. Uh, it was a, a how old were you, bike Robert? How old were quiet. you? I was in my early 20s. Okay. I was young then. Yeah. And I was still living at home, right? Got it. And every night I would go for a bicycle ride after dinner. Mm-hmm. And I had this new bicycle that was very quiet. And um, this one night, I had this routine. I would come by. I would make the right turn at Duncan Drive onto Tenet Road up to where my house was. And I would come around this one little piece of sidewalk and up the hill very quietly. And this one night, I'm coming up that hill quietly, like with that bicycle the way I always did. And I'm hearing this noise. I'll never forget this noise as long as I live. Can you... The only way I could describe this noise to you yeah. would be, say, if you were to take a cat yeah. and hold it down with your foot and pull its leg off, and so... the thing started screaming. Can you, like can you duplicate wildly, it for me? Like warbling, like... Credit the Bill Spadia Show, New Jersey 101.5, for that opening piece we just offered. Millions of people travel to the South Jersey beaches every summer to enjoy the fun and sun. I know this well, because as a boy growing up outside of Philadelphia, that's where most of my friends' families went to for a week or more in the summer. When I was old enough to drive, my high school friends and I headed for Beach Haven or Stone Harbor, New Jersey, to swim, hang out, and hopefully meet girls. We never thought about the miles of basically uninhabited pine forests that surrounded our long travels on the expressway, or parkway, depending on which route we took. We just turned on the radio and headed east, following the signs to the Jersey Shore. But the truth is, New Jersey has a lot of forests and a lot of hidden history and dark legends. History and legends that go way back to before the Revolution. And the New Jersey Pine Barrens has its own special blend of stories. One of those legends, the legend of the Jersey Devil, was so ingrained in the culture that they named their pro hockey team after it. The Pine Barrens is a 1.1 million acre area of southern New Jersey. It's heavily forested area covered in sandy, acidic, nutrient-poor soil that's well suited for tomatoes, cranberries, orchids, surprisingly, and even more surprisingly, carnivorous plants, namely the purple pitcher plants, sundews, and bladderworts. These bug-eating wonders have brought scientists from all over the globe to the Pine Barrens to gather specimens so they can study them for medicinal purposes and God knows what else. How many of these scientists came back after their Pinewoods expeditions is not known. But for you scriptwriters, and we know you're out there, there's a great idea for a Netflix movie. 
I can see the opening scene now as the little group is sitting around their campfire as it burns down, surrounded by thick pines, slapping mosquitoes with one hand, holding their wine glasses in the other, calmly talking about the day's finds. As an eerie scream, half-human, half-animal, cuts through the evening silence. If I had the time, I'd write it. But... The Pine Barrens region has four state forests, and because it's so sparsely populated, it has a reputation as a backwater region in New Jersey. The people who sparsely populate the inland's swampy recesses have been marginalized in the past, and even called names like Pineys. As we all know, it's not nice to call people names. The interior, away from the bustling coastal meccas like Atlantic City, is littered with abandoned villages. Some are little more than mounds of earth, while others are brick-and-stone remnants of the deserted mills that once made iron, paper, and terracotta. Crumbling vine-covered chimneys, rotted wood, and the detritus of shanties litter parts of the inner woods which surround the remains of those mills. Those mills and the people who worked them are gone now. They gave up trying to carve a living out of those dark and dead woods, woods which many felt were cursed. Even hunters keep shy of some of those places, maybe sensing that their shotguns can't protect them from whatever lurks in the shadows of those thick pines. The Jersey Devil is the most famous and well-established myth of the Pine Barrens. In South Jersey and Philadelphia folklore in the United States, the Jersey Devil, also known as the Leeds Devil, is a legendary creature said to inhabit the forest of Pine Barrens in South Jersey. The creature is often described as a flying biped with hooves, but there are many variations because there were many sightings over an extended period of time. The common description is that of a bipedal, kangaroo-like, wyvern-like creature with horse or goat-like head, leathery bat-like wings, horns, small arms with clawed hands, legs with cloven hooves, and a forked tail. It has been reported to move quickly, and it's often described as emitting a high-pitched, blood-curdling scream. The wyvern, by the way, is a type of biped dragon, or dragon-like creature, that possessed two legs and often a pointed tail which was said to be poisonous. At present, dragons that have two legs and two wings are often called wyvern. The wyvern in its various forms is important in heraldry, frequently appearing as a mascot of schools and athletic teams, chiefly in the U.S., U.K., and Canada. It's a popular creature in European literature, mythology, and folklore. Today, it's often used in fantasy literature and video games. The wyvern in heraldry and folklore is rarely fire-breathing, unlike other dragons. I'll put a picture of it up at 1001 Heroes' Facebook page. The one you see is the herald for Wessex, England. According to popular folklore, the Jersey Devil originated with a Pine Barrens resident named Jane Leeds, known as Mother Leeds. The legend states that Mother Leeds had 12 children and after finding she was pregnant for the 13th time, cursed the child in frustration, crying that that child could be the devil for all she cared. In 1735, Mother Leeds was in labor on a stormy night while her friends gathered around her. Born as a normal child, according to legend, the unlucky 13th child changed to a creature with hooves, a goat's head, bat wings, and a forked tail. Growling and screaming, the child beat everyone with its tail before flying up the chimney and heading into the pines. In some versions of the tale, 
Mother Leeds was supposedly a witch, and the child's father was the devil himself. Some versions of the legend also state that there was a subsequent attempt by local clergymen to exorcise the creature from the Pine Barrens. Well, the neighborhood around the Leeds home would never be the same. It was about to go knee-deep in deviltry as well as political intrigue, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Prior to the early 1900s, the Jersey Devil was referred to as the Leeds Devil, or the Devil of Leeds, either in connection with the local Leeds family or the southern New Jersey town, Leeds Point, which was named after the family. Mother Leeds has been identified by some as Deborah Leeds, on grounds that Deborah Leeds' husband, Jaffet Leeds, named twelve children in the will he wrote during 1736, which is compatible with the legend. Deborah and Jaffet Leeds also lived in the Leeds Point section of what is now Atlantic County, New Jersey, which is commonly the location of the Jersey Devil story. This county encompasses the cities of Atlantic City, Egg Harbor, and Ebsekin. Enter Brian Regal, an historian of science at Keene University, who theorizes that the story of Mother Leeds, rather than being based on a single historical person, originated from colonial southern New Jersey religio-political disputes that became the subject of folklore and gossip among the local population. According to Regal, folk legends concerning these historical disputes evolved through the years and ultimately resulted in the modern, popular legend of the Jersey Devil during the early 20th century. Regal contends that colonial-era political intrigue involving early New Jersey politicians Benjamin Franklin and Franklin's rival almanac publisher, Daniel Leeds, resulted in the Leeds family being described as monsters, and it was Daniel Leeds' negative description as the Leeds devil, rather than any actual creature, that created the later legend of the Jersey devil. Brian Regal may have a point with regard to the legend and how it spread, but he can't explain the sightings which took place over a span of 150 years in both New Jersey and Pennsylvania, which we'll get to further on in this story. Much like the mother Leeds of the Jersey Devil myth, Daniel Leeds' third wife had given birth to nine children, a large number of children even for the time. Leeds' second wife and first daughter had both died during childbirth. As a royal surveyor with strong allegiances to the British crown, Leeds had also surveyed and acquired land in the Egg Harbor area, located within the Pine Barrens. The land was inherited by Leeds' sons and family and is now known as Leeds Point, one of the areas in the Pine Barrens currently most associated with the Jersey Devil legend and alleged Jersey Devil sightings. Starting in the 17th century, English Quakers established settlements in southern New Jersey, the region in which the Pine Barrens are located. Daniel Leeds, a Quaker and prominent person of pre-Revolution colonial southern New Jersey, became ostracized by his Quaker congregation after his 1687 publication of almanacs containing astrological symbols and writings. Leeds' fellow Quakers deemed the astrology in those almanacs as too pagan or blasphemous, and the almanacs were censored and destroyed by the local Quaker community. But Leeds didn't give up. In response to, and in spite of, this censorship, Leeds continued to publish even more esoteric astrological Christian writings, and became increasingly fascinated with Christian occultism, Christian mysticism, cosmology, demonology, angelology, and natural magic. In other words, he was now rubbing this in the Quakers' faces, and they responded. In the 1690s, after his almanacs and writings were further censured as blasphemous 
or heretical by the Philadelphia Quaker meeting, Leach continued his dispute with the Quaker community, converting to Anglicanism and publishing anti-Quaker tracts, criticizing Quaker theology and accusing Quakers of being anti-monarchists, or simply against the King of England, who was then pretty much in charge of the colonies. In the ensuing dispute between Leeds and the southern New Jersey Quakers over Leeds' accusations, Leeds was endorsed by the much-maligned British royal governor of New Jersey, Lord Cornbury, despised among the Quaker communities. Leeds also worked as a counselor to Lord Cornbury about this time. Considering Leeds as a traitor for aiding the Crown and rejecting Quaker beliefs, the Quaker Burlington meeting of southern New Jersey subsequently dismissed Leeds as evil. In 1716, Daniel Leeds' son, Titan Leeds, inherited his father's almanac business, which continued to use astrological content and eventually competed with Benjamin Franklin's popular Poor Richard's Almanac. The competition between the two men intensified when, in 1733, Franklin satirically used astrology in his almanac to predict Titan Leeds' death on October of that same year. Though Franklin's prediction was intended as a joke at his competitor's expense and a means to boost almanac sales, Titan Leeds was apparently offended at the death prediction, publishing a public admonition of Franklin as a fool and a liar. In a published response, Franklin mocked Titan Leeds' outrage and humorously suggested that, in fact, Titan Leeds had died in accordance with the earlier prediction and was thus writing his almanacs as a ghost, <laughs> resurrected from the grave, to haunt and torment Franklin. Franklin continued to jokingly refer to Titan Leeds as a ghost even after Titan Leeds' actual death in 1738. Daniel Leeds' blasphemous and occultist reputation and his pro-monarchy stance in the largely anti-British monarchy colonial south of New Jersey, combined with Ben Franklin's later continuous depiction of Titan Leeds as a ghost, may well have originated or contributed to the local folk legend of the Leeds Devil lurking in the Pine Barrens. My opinion, maybe and maybe not, but it is interesting how the revolution was fomenting and people were taking sides so many years before it actually came to a head. I do know that Benjamin Franklin was frustrated with New Jersey. His son William became a stout Tory and, with his father's help, the governor of New Jersey, a job which lasted until 1776 when he was saved from a hanging and transported to a jail in Connecticut to wait out the struggle. There are some great stories about the father-son's struggles in ideology. Ben even offered Will a generalship in the colonial army if he would just see the light. But Will was convinced that the king would win it, and the American people's hearts just weren't in it. He couldn't see the devil in the details. Speaking of the devil, during 1728, Titan Leeds began to include the Leeds family crest on the masthead of his almanacs. The Leeds family crest depicted a wyvern, as earlier mentioned, a bat-winged, dragon-like, legendary creature that stands upright on two clawed feet. Historian Regal notes that the wyvern on the Leeds family crest is reminiscent of the popular descriptions of the Jersey Devil. The inclusion of this family crest on Leeds almanacs may have further contributed to the Leeds family's poor reputation among locals, and possibly influence the popular descriptions of the Leeds Devil or Jersey Devil. The fearsome appearance of the Crest Wyvern and the increasing animosity among local South Jersey residents towards royalty, aristocracy, and nobility, with whom the family crests are associated, 
may have helped facilitate the legend of the Leeds Devil and the association of the Leeds family with devils and monsters. We'll return to Beware the Jersey Devil right after these sponsor messages. And now back to our story. Historian Regal notes that, by the late 1700s and early 1800s at the latest, the Leeds Devil had become a ubiquitous legendary monster or ghost story in the southern New Jersey area. Into the early to mid-19th century, stories continued to circulate in southern New Jersey of the Leeds Devil, a monster wandering the Pine Barrens. Although the Leeds Devil legend has apparently existed since the 18th century, Regal states that the more modern depiction of the Jersey Devil, as well as the now pervasive Jersey Devil name, first became truly standardized in current form during the early 20th century. During the pre-revolutionary period, the Leeds family, who called the Pine Barrens home, soured its relationship with the Quaker majority. The Quakers saw no hurry to give their former fellow religionist an easy time in circles of gossip. His wives had all died, as had several children. His son Titan stood accused by Benjamin Franklin of being a ghost. The family crest had winged dragons on it. In a time when thoughts of independence were being born, these issues made the Leeds family political and religious monsters. From all this over time, the legend of the Leeds Devil was born. References to the Jersey Devil do not appear in newspapers or other printed material until the 20th century. The first major flap came in 1909, and we'll cover that in a few minutes. It's from these sightings that the popular image of the creature, with bat-like wings, horse head, claws, and a general air of a dragon, became standardized. Indeed, many references to a Leeds devil, or devil of Leeds, appear in earlier printed material prior to the widespread usage of the Jersey Devil name. In 1859, the Atlantic Monthly published an article detailing the Leeds Devil folktales popular among Pine Barren residents, who were then called Pine Rats. A newspaper from 1887 described sightings of a winged creature, referred to as the Devil of Leeds, allegedly spotted near the Pine Barrens, and well known among the local populace of Burlington County, New Jersey. According to one witness, Whenever he went near it, it would give a most unearthly yell that frightened the dogs. Its tail whipped at every dog on the place. That thing, said one witness, is not a bird or an animal, but it is the Leeds Devil, according to the description, and was born over at Evesham, Burlington County, a hundred years ago. There's no mistake about it. I never saw the horrible critter myself but I can remember well when it was roaming around in Evesham Woods 50 years ago, and when it was hunted by men and dogs and shot out by the best marksmen there were in all South Jersey, but couldn't be killed. There isn't a family in Burlington or any of the adjoining counties that does not know of the Leeds Devil, and it was the bugaboo to frighten children with when I was a boy. There have been many claims of sightings and occurrences involving the Jersey Devil. According to legend, while visiting the Hanover Millworks to inspect his cannonballs being forged, Commodore Stephen Decatur sighted a flying creature and fired a cannonball directly upon it, but to no effect. Joseph Bonaparte, elder brother of Napoleon Bonaparte, is also claimed to have seen the Jersey Devil while hunting on his Bordentown estate in about 1820. One newspaper account reads, Headline, Fly rival of Leeds Devil has Jersey people frightened. The subline reads, Hoof prints in the snow, 
whirring noises in the air, and other uncanny manifestations reached Bordentown and Mount Holly after making sensation in lower counties where natives remain indoors after sundown. The text follows, Residents of Bordentown, Mount Holly, Burlington, Gloucester, and Woodbury, and many other towns in Burlington and Gloucester counties are greatly excited and mystified over the discovery of curious footprints made, it is thought, by some strange animal not as yet classified by scientists. The trail of the beast, although none is known to have seen the creature, leads to the belief that the animal is two-legged, with hooves like a horse, has wings, and is able to fly. In 1840, the Jersey Devil was blamed for several livestock killings. Similar attacks were reported during 1841, accompanied by tracks and screams. In Greenwich, during December of 1925, a local farmer shot an unidentified animal as it attempted to steal his chickens and then photographed the corpse. Afterward, he claimed that none of the 100 people he showed it to could identify it. On July 27, 1937, an unknown animal with red eyes, seen by residents of Downingtown, Pennsylvania, was compared to the Jersey Devil by a reporter for the Pennsylvania Bulletin of July 28, 1937. And here's how that read. Downingtown, July 28, 1937. Chester County's green and verdant countryside was trying to shake itself back into state of normalcy today after an all-night hunt for the 1937 version of the old Jersey Devil. Armed with guns and clubs and led by a pack of dogs whose barking in the moonlight almost reached blood-curdling heights at times, a hastily formed posse of two dozen farmers skipped their sleep last night to scour the hills and fields for a bounding critter with huge eyes. The strange monster was reported shortly after 9 p.m. by Sidney Ladley, a paper mill employee who lives near Milford Mills, just north of here. Rushing into town with bated breath, Ladley, his wife, and Mrs. Chester Smith, a neighbor, told of seeing the creature on a back road near their home just as dusk was settling over the hills. It leaped across the road in front of my car, Ladley said. It was about the size of a kangaroo, was covered with hair four inches long, and it hopped like a kangaroo. And eyes! What eyes! And how it jumped, chimed in Mrs. Ladley. Right in front of us, too, added Mrs. Smith. The descriptions were enough. Within a half hour, more than twenty neighboring farmers had taken their shotguns, unleashed their hounds, and were abroad in the moonlight. "'resolved to track the prowler to its lair. "'In 1951, a group of Gibbstown, New Jersey boys "'claimed to have seen a monster matching the devil's description, "'and claims of a corpse matching the Jersey devil's description "'arose in 1957. "'In 1960, tracks and noises heard near May's Landing "'were claimed to be from the Jersey devil. "'During the same year, the merchants around Camden "'offered a $10,000 reward for the capture of the Jersey devil.' even offering to build a private zoo to house the creature if it was captured. Getting back to 1909, during the week of January 16-23, through 23, newspapers published hundreds of claimed encounters with the Jersey Devil from all over South Jersey and the Philadelphia area. Among these alleged encounters were claims the creature attacked a trolley car in Haddon Heights and a social club in Camden. Police in Camden and Bristol, Pennsylvania, supposedly fired on the creature but to no effect. Other reports initially concerned unidentified footprints in the snow, but soon sightings of creatures resembling the Jersey Devil were being reported throughout South Jersey and as far away as Delaware 
and western Maryland. The widespread newspaper coverage created fear throughout the Delaware Valley, prompting a number of schools to close and workers to stay home. Vigilante groups and groups of hunters roamed the pines and countrysides in search of the devil. During this period, it is rumored that the Philadelphia Zoo posted a $10,000 reward for the creature. The offer prompted a variety of hoaxes, including a kangaroo equipped with artificial claws and bat wings. Here is a chronological workup of the 1909 sightings. Notice that these sightings were made far from Leeds Point, New Jersey, and centered mostly north of Leeds Point, New Jersey, up through Pennsylvania. Thousands of people claimed to have seen the Jersey Devil during the week of January 16th through 23rd. Newspapers nationwide followed the story and published eyewitness reports. Hysteria gripped the entire state during this terrible week. Beginning with Saturday the 16th, the devil was sighted flying over Woodbury. On Sunday the 17th, in Bristol, Pennsylvania, several people saw the creature and tracks were found in the snow the following day. On Monday the 18th, Burlington was covered in strange tracks that seemed to defy logic. Some were found on rooftops. Others started and stopped abruptly, with no origin or destination. Several other towns found similar footprints. On Tuesday the 19th, Nelson Evans and his wife of Gloucester found the devil outside their window at 2.30 a.m. Mr. Evans gave the following account. It was about three feet and a half high, with a head like a collie dog and a face like a horse. It had a long neck, wings about two feet long, and its back legs were like those of a crane, and it had horse's hoofs. It walked on its back legs and held up two short front legs with paws on them. It didn't use the front legs at all while we were watching. My wife and I were scared, I tell you. But I managed to open the window and say, Shoo! And it turned around, barked at me, and flew away. Two Gloucester City hunters tracked the devil's seemingly impossible trail for 20 miles. The trail appeared to jump fences and squeeze under 8-inch gaps. Sightings were reported in several other towns. On Wednesday the 20th, in Haddonfield and Collinswood, posses were formed to find the devil. They watched him fly off toward Moorestown, where he was later sighted by at least two people. On Thursday, the 21st, the devil attacked a trolley car in Haddon Heights, as previously mentioned, but was chased off. Trolley cars in several other towns began to maintain armed guards. Several poultry farmers found their chickens dead. The devil was reported to have walked into an electric rail in Clayton, but if this did happen, it didn't kill the beast. A telegraph worker near Atlantic City claimed to have shot the devil and watched him limp into the woods. If so, he was not phased much because he continued his assault, visiting Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and West Collingswood, New Jersey. The devil prepared to attack nearby people who threw whatever they could find at it. Right as he was about to strike, the devil flew away. He emerged later in Camden and injured a dog, ripping a chunk of flesh out before the dog's owner drove it away. This is the first devil attack on a living creature that was witnessed. On Friday the 22nd, the last day of sightings. By now many towns were in a panic, with businesses and schools closed for fear of the creature. It was, however, only seen a few times that day, and did not attack anything. In addition to the number of major attacks and sightings, the devil was sighted flying over many other towns. Since the week of terror in 1909, sightings slowed considerably but by no means did they end. 
1951, there was another panic in Gibbstown, New Jersey, after local boys claimed to have seen a humanoid monster and heard screams. As recently as 1991, a pizza delivery driver in Edison, New Jersey, described a night encounter with a white, horse-like creature. In Freehold, New Jersey, in 2002, a woman supposedly saw a huge creature with bat-like wings by her house. Today, there exist many websites and magazines, such as Weird New Jersey, which catalog sightings of the devil. Many different descriptions have been offered by those who have seen the creature, and several eyewitness accounts follow. I looked out upon the Delaware and saw flying diagonally across what appeared to be a large crane, but which was emitting a glow like a firefly. Its head resembled that of a ram with curled horns, and its long, thick neck was thrust forward in flight. It had long, thin wings and short legs, the front legs shorter than the hind. That was given by E.W. Minster, Bristol, PA, cited on January 16th, and that one was 1909. It was three feet high, long black hair over its entire body, arms and hands like a monkey, face like a dog, split hooves, and a tail a foot long. That one from George Snyder, Morristown, New Jersey. Again, cited January, this time the 20th, 1909. In general appearance, it resembled a kangaroo. It has a long neck, and from what glimpse I got of its head, its features are hideous. It has wings of a fairly good size, and of course in the darkness looked black. Its legs are long and somewhat slender, and were held in just such a position as a swan's when it's flying. It looked to be about four feet high. Another one reads, As nearly as I can describe the terror, it had the head of a horse, the wings of a bat, and a tail like a rat's, only longer. That was a sighting by Howard Campbell, who claimed to have shot the devil near Atlantic City. Of course, we have to give the skeptics their say, and they've got a lot to say. Before I read this, I can guess that they'll blame it on mass hysteria or a sandhill crane, which is the old standby for any creature that doesn't fit the normal description. And here are some skeptics' responses. Skeptics believe the Jersey Devil to partially be nothing more than a creative manifestation upon the imaginations of the early English settlers, with plausible natural explanations including boogeyman stories created and told by bored Pine Barren residents as a form of children's entertainment, the byproduct of the historical local disdain for the Leeds family, the misidentification of known animals, and rumors based on common negative perceptions of the local rural population of the Pine Barrens, those known as Pineys. The frightening reputation of the Pine Barrens may indeed have contributed to the Jersey Devil legend. Historically, the Pine Barrens was considered inhospitable land. Gangs of highwaymen, such as the politically disdained Loyalist Brigands, known as the Pine Robbers, were known to rob and attack travelers passing through the Barrens. During the 1700s and 1800s, residents of the isolated Pine Barrens were deemed the dregs or outcasts of society. Poor farmers, fugitives, Brigands, Native Americans, poachers, moonshiners, runaway slaves, and deserting soldiers of the crown. But wait a minute. Stop the press. This all sounds like the colonial militia. Those same farmers, moonshiners, half-breeds, escaped slaves, Indians, and squirrel shooters that kicked Burgoyne's butt at Saratoga, ran Cornwallis into a cave at Yorktown, ran Cornwallis shaking into a cave at Yorktown, and chased the British Army's tails from New Orleans to the Gulf in 1812. I wouldn't be surprised if there were more than a few pineys in that bunch. 
so-called pineys have sometimes fostered certain frightening stories about themselves and the pine barrens to discourage outsiders or intruders from entering the barrens, probably to protect their moonshine operations. Pineys were further demonized and vilified after two eugenic studies were published during the early 20th century, which depicted pineys as congenital idiots and criminals, as seen in the research performed on the Kalakak family by Henry H. Goddard. I wonder if he was the one who started the Goddard schools, which is now considered biased or inaccurate, and most likely falsified. Jeff Bruner of the Humane Society of New Jersey thinks the Sandhill Crane is the basis of the Jersey Devil stories, adding, There are no photographs, no bones, no hard evidence whatsoever, and worst of all, no explanation of its origins that doesn't require belief in the supernatural. Outdoorsman and author Tom Brown, Jr., spent several seasons living in the wilderness of the Pine Barrens. He recounts occasions when terrified hikers mistook him for the Jersey Devil after he covered his whole body with mud to repel mosquitoes. Medical sociologist Robert E. Bartholomew and author Peter Hassel cite the 1909 series of sightings and the subsequent public panic as a classic example of mass hysteria begun by a regional urban legend. In my humble opinion, nothing ever happens in localities like these, and the men are all looking for any excuse to get out of the house with their guns and maybe a flask of whiskey. One New Jersey group called the Devil Hunters refer to themselves as official researchers of the Jersey Devil and devote time to collecting reports, visiting historic sites, and going on nocturnal hunts in the Pine Barrens in order to find proof that the Jersey Devil does in fact exist. They're still looking. Due in part to their isolated and undeveloped nature, the Pine Barrens have themselves fostered various folk legends. Apart from the Jersey Devil, many other legends are associated with the Pine Barrens. Supernatural creatures and ghosts said to haunt the Pine Forest include the ghost of the pirate Captain Kidd, who supposedly buried treasure in the Pine Barrens and is sometimes allegedly seen in the company of the Jersey Devil. The ghost of the Black Doctor, the benevolent spirit of an African-American doctor who, after being forbidden from practicing medicine due to his race, entered the Pine Barrens to practice medicine in the isolated communities of the Barrens and is said to still come to the aid of lost or injured travelers. The Ghost of the Black Dog, which, unlike many black dog legends, is usually portrayed as harmless. The Ghost of the Golden-Haired Girl, the spirit of a girl who is said to be staring out into the sea, dressed in white, mourning the loss of her lover at sea. And the White Stag, a ghostly white deer, said to rescue travelers in the barrens from danger. Not, as you might believe, a white guy who got lost from a stag party and still wanders the Pine Barrens. There are also folk tales concerning the Blue Hole, an unusually clear blue and rounded body of water located the Pine Barrens between Monroe Township, Gloucester County, and Winslow Township, Camden County, and often associated with the Jersey Devil. Writing in Jan Harold Brunvon's American Folklore and Encyclopedia, Rutgers professor Angus Cress Gillespie called the Jersey Devil an obscure regional legend for most of its existence, and said that, after more than 250 years in oral circulation, the legend of the Jersey Devil has many variations. Gillespie cites the devil's image used on T-shirts, buttons, and postcards, and cocktails named after the devil, as indications that, the recent history of the Jersey Devil is more in the realm of popular culture than folklore.
Then, of course, there have been hoaxes. Gordon Stein, an encyclopedia of hoaxes, noted that the alleged footprints of the Jersey Devil during the 1909 panic resembled a horse's hoof. According to Stein, a man later admitted he had faked some of these footprints. Jeff Tibbles in The World's Greatest Hoaxes has claimed that Norman Jeffries was involved in hoaxing the Jersey Devil. Norman Jeffries was the publicist for Philadelphia's Arch Street Museum and was a renowned hoaxer, was well aware of the stories about the Jersey Devil. So when the museum proprietor, T.F. Hopkins, admitted that it was in danger of closure unless Jeffries came up with something to boost attendance, the publicist decided that a captive Jersey Devil would be the ideal crowd puller. He also planted fictional newspaper stories about new sightings of the devil. In 1909, Jeffries, with his friend Jacob Hope, an animal trainer, purchased a kangaroo from the circus and glued artificial claws and bat wings on it. They declared to the public that they'd captured the devil and it was displayed at the museum. Twenty years later, Jeffries admitted to the hoax, but I would imagine it was probably twenty hours later, because that kangaroo wasn't fooling anybody. Today, a group called the Devil Hunters has posted a website that keeps track of Jersey Devil sightings. I'll share a little bit of an article titled, Jersey Devil Legend Continues to Fascinate in the Pine Barrens. Down from Crystal Larson, Associated Press, November of 2003, Pemberton, New Jersey. As Russ Yulg guides groups through the Pine Barrens by the light of the moon, he always instructs them to keep their eyes up in the trees. They're watchful for a strange form crouching from a tree limb or a pair of glowing eyes emerging from the shadows. The search for the legendary Jersey Devil may include plenty of skeptics, but Yulg says curiosity still draws dozens of thrill-seekers to southern New Jersey each month to go on hunts. Being out in the wilderness at night and hearing and seeing strange things that you can't account for is a kind of a thrill, and it kind of puts you in touch with the mysterious side of nature, said Yulg who leads the outings for the Pinelands Preservation Alliance. The Devil Hunters started about five years ago by Laura Luter. Laura, 25, of Old Bridge, says she and her colleagues approach their interest in a scientific way and are willing to accept that the legend may be nothing more than a tale passed down to the generations. We get people every once in a while who email us and tell us, you need to get a life, you need a job, and we're like, whatever, who works for a major financial institution. What are you doing on my website? If I'm the one who needs a life, why are you looking up things you don't believe in? Trail guide Yulg agrees that most people remain doubtful that the creature ever existed or continues to roam the Pine Barrens. Still, he says, that's not the point of our organized hunts. I never try to convince anybody of one thing or another. The way I present the Jersey Devil legend is primarily a component of the folklore of New Jersey, and I let people make up their own minds how to interpret it. I'm just basically retelling the story, keeping the story alive. My hunch here at 1001 is that the Leeds Devil exists only as a myth created through the power of the spoken word. As to the creature called the Jersey Devil, which apparently has appeared within a 100-mile radius of Leeds Point over a period of 200 years or so, these sightings could well have been a strange large bird resembling in some ways a pterodactyl either existing by some freak of nature or having traversed through some sort of time warp, which I still believe is responsible for a number of strange cryptid sightings ranging from chupacabras to Bigfoot, as well as sudden unexplained disappearances of people, which are documented and not just dreamed up. Just remember this, the next time you're camping out of the New Jersey Pine Barrens, or worse, 
when your car runs out of gas at night on the New Jersey Parkway to Atlantic City, and you hear those strange screams coming from the woods. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. We always appreciate reviews, and we've had a ton of reviews lately, so I'd like to share a few with you. The first one, five stars. Dear Mr. Hagedorn, my name is Elizabeth. Not long ago, my father died of cancer. It was the hardest thing I've gone through. I give all the glory to my Lord Jesus Christ, who brought my family and I through that terrible season, and I rejoice that my dad has now received his reward in heaven. That being said, I want to thank you for what you do on all your 1001 podcasts. My favorites are 1001 Stories for the Road, 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, and my new favorite, 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. It was, and is, such a blessing to have my own little escape to a world of fiction. It's like spending time with a good friend who loves great stories as much as I do. I love your wholesome selections of stories. I just finished Mr. Stanfast for the second time and loved it just as much as I did the first time. Thank you. From a loyal listener. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. What a wonderful review. We appreciate it. And this one from Jesse. To whom it may concern. I've been an avid listener of all of John's shows, likely from the beginning of when I heard his voice. I will have to do research as to when that was, but if I were to screen records scrolling through all the episodes I've listened to on all the fine productions he created, it would probably take more than a week to get through all of them. I appreciate the way you present each emotional cue, the interest that is prevalent in your approach to sharing these stories with the world, and your entire demeanor. Thankful that you do not stoop into politics, religious beliefs, or anything to try and push your beliefs upon those who are enthralled with the written works of this amazing world. Thank you, John. You're legitimately an absolute treasure to my journey through this world. I've been listening for a very long time. I couldn't tell you when I started, but honestly and wholly, you have been on so many adventures through this amazingly beautiful world with me. I wish I could bestow on you and those who love you more than kind words. If this human somehow falls into financial fortune, a heap of it will go to you, as you've helped me in my heart through so many good and troubling times. My apologies for this lengthy review. Please continue sharing the magic of human stories with your glorious and wonderful tonality and love for the written marvels of our myriad walks of life. Humbly and with great respect, Warmest regards, Jesse Austin. Jesse, a heartfelt thanks for having my back and being with me on this journey, as you so accurately describe it. Thank you for the longest and greatest review I've ever received. If you ever come to Virginia, the coffee's on me. Great to know you're with us. Thank you. And this one, Pirates. 1001 Heroes, five stars. Such interesting stories, and so well told. Down from Crystalline 400, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, so much background noise, stop shuffling papers while the guest is talking. Down from Incognito82, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, great history and storytelling, five stars, 1001 Heroes. I like the stories and the interviews. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Down from Donthan, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you all so very, very much for taking the time to share these wonderful reviews with us. I know they help new listeners decide whether or not to give us a try. By the way, if any of you are Twitter users, we now have a Twitter address. The address is at 1001podcast. So join us and chime in if you have a chance. Generally, the only thing I post is short descriptions or teases of ongoing or upcoming episodes. I know I don't say it often enough, 
but we also greatly appreciate our Patreon supporters. And these are dedicated fans who contribute an average of about 4 to $5 a month, every month, to help our 1,001 shows move forward. We appreciate them so very, very much. You can find us at Patreon by searching patreon.com forward slash 1001 Stories Network. And when you become a patron, you'll also find a couple of hundred ad-free shows, a couple of hundred ad-free archived episodes. Plus, for the upper-tier supporters, early bird episodes, which I know our patrons appreciate. Thank you so much for joining us for this story. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back in one week with a brand new story at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. Everyone, stay safe. Avoid the deep pine barren woods at night. And we'll be back soon. And by the way, that screech you're hearing is the sound of a fox.